Today on the Matt Walsh Show, Joe Biden makes the worst trade deal in history, bringing an anti-American WNBA player home in exchange for a notorious Russian arms dealer. But the real problem is the people he left behind. We'll talk about that. Also, the dean at a swanky private school is caught on tape bragging about giving his students sex toys to play with. Of course, the school is standing behind him. And trans TikTok star Dylan Mulvaney lectures women for failing to appreciate his tampon-related charitable acts. Lots of Weird things happening today. We'll talk about it all and much more on The Matt Walsh Show. If we're going to change the culture and dominance of large corporations that actively work to quiet our beliefs, we need to reassess our spending habits and start supporting like-minded companies. That's why you need to switch to the pro-life, pro-family cell phone company, Charity Mobile. Charity Mobile has the same great nationwide mobile phone service and coverage as other carriers, and they spend 5% of your monthly plan price, plan price for the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. You don't have to compromise on value or service. Charity Mobile offers the latest phones and tablets and live customer service based in the U.S. The midterm elections made clear that the fight for the right to life will continue for unborn children. Pro-life causes need your continued support. And so Charity Mobile's special Christmas promotion is uh, more important than ever. It includes a free phone, free activation, free shipping, and a free portable battery charger for new customers while supplies last. All you got to do is mention code Walsh. Call one 474 3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. Mention offer code Walsh. That's charitymobile.com. Mention code Walsh. So to steal a joke from Twitter that's already gotten old in like 15 minutes, uh, this is the first time a WNBA trade has made headlines. The Biden administration announced this morning that Brittany Griner has, uh, is on her way home after her release was secured in a one-for-one prisoner swap with Russia. The Daily Wire has more, and it says, WNBA star Brittany Griner was freed from Russian captivity Thursday in a prisoner exchange for a notorious Russian arms dealer. President Joe Biden announced Griner, who was arrested in February at a Moscow airport after being caught with marijuana vaping materials, was sentenced in August to nine years in prison. The six-foot-nine-inch athlete plays for the uh, WNBA's Phoenix Mercury. Okay, I just learned. I just learned just now what team she plays for. So that's what it is and had flown to Russia to finish her season for WMMC uh, when she was arrested. U.S. diplomats have been scrambling to win her release, but the efforts were complicated by Russia's international isolation as a result of its invasion of Ukraine. The U.S. agreed to the swap for arms dealer Victor Bout, an international criminal known as the Merchant of Death. So, we get a WNBA player, most famous for pushing the WNBA to stop playing the national anthem before games, a player who has said... That, that she will not come out onto the court if her country's anthem is being played. A woman who has managed to earn a pretty handsome living in this country while playing in an obscure sports league that only exists because the NBA acts as its sugar daddy, propping it up and keeping it afloat. A woman who has a net worth in the millions and yet nobody had ever heard of until she tried to sneak drug paraphernalia through a Russian airport. That's like the most famous play she's ever been a part of when she tried to pass drug material through an airport in Russia. Um, this woman who, who, who has every reason to love and be grateful for America, but instead hates and resents it. We get her, we get her back, and then Russia gets one of the most notorious arms dealers in history. That's the trade. This makes the Browns giving up three first-round draft picks and $250 million guaranteed for Deshaun Watson seem like a brilliant deal in comparison and by the way, if you want to know a little bit more about the man that we just sent back to Russia, 
Um, CBS News has some details about that. It says, Bout, a former Soviet military translator turned international arms dealer, has been imprisoned for more than a decade after he was lured to Thailand in a Drug Enforcement Administration sting operation that spanned three continents. Quote, Victor Bout, in my eyes, is one of the most dangerous men on the face of the earth, Michael Braun, former chief, chief of operations for the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, told 60 Minutes in 2010. In 1995, he was 28. Uh, he began spending time at uh, cargo hangars in Sharjah's International Airport in uh, the United Arab Emirates, eventually launching his cargo airlines, Air Cess, with a small fleet of Russian planes that delivered goods to Africa and Afghanistan. In the years that followed, Bout helped fuel civil wars across the world by supplying more sophisticated weapons, sometimes to both sides of the bloody conflicts. Quote, if I didn't do it, someone else would, Bout told the New Yorker. That was his excuse for that was his rationale. By then, he was on the radar of U.S. and British officials. Peter Hayne, the Minister of State for Africa in Britain's Foreign Office, sounded the alarm as British soldiers in Africa came under attack by increasingly sophisticated weapons. Quote, sanction busters are continuing to perpetuate the conflict in Sierra Leone and Angola, with the result that countless lives are being lost and mutilations are taking place. Victor Bout is indeed the chief sanctions buster and is a merchant of death who owns air companies that ferry in arms and other logistic support for the rebels in Angola and Sierra Leone and take out the diamonds, which pay for the arms, aiding and abetting people who are turning their guns on British soldiers. That according to Hain. So a very expensive and complex operation was launched to lure Bout out of Russia and uh, arrest him. And it was eventually successful. He was convicted of conspiracy to kill U.S. citizens and officials uh, delivery of anti-aircraft missiles, and providing aid to a terrorist organization. That was what he was convicted of. Sentenced to uh, 25 years in prison, which on its own, to me, seems pretty light. But he's not going to have to serve it. Um, he's not going to have to serve all of it, or even most of it, because he's, he's going home. And uh, we get Brittany Griner. But there's something else being left out here, or rather someone being left out. Paul Whelan is a former U.S. Marine who's been imprisoned in Russia for four years now starting back in 2018, on what our government says are baseless espionage charges. Now, it was expected, at least by the people dumb enough to have any faith in this administration, it was expected by them that he would be a part of any trade or prisoner swap involving Brittany Griner. That it would be a package deal at a minimum. But instead, he's been left to rot. He's left out of the deal. Biden is taking Griner, leaving Wayland. Uh, Biden did address that issue very briefly in his remarks earlier uh, about, about this deal, and here's what he said. She wrote to me back in July. She didn't ask for special treatment, even though we've been working on a release from the day one. She requested a simple quote, please don't forget about me and the other American detainees. Please do all you can to bring us home. We never forgot about Brittany. We've not forgotten about Paul Whelan who's been unjustly detained in Russia for years. This was not a choice of which American to bring home. We brought home Trevor Reed when we had a chance early this year. Sadly, for totally illegitimate reasons, Russia is treating Paul's case differently than Brittany's. And while we have not yet succeeded in securing Paul's release, we are not giving up. We will never give up. Uh, Russia is treating Paul Whelan differently. Yeah. It's not the Biden administration that has uh, made Brittany Griner a priority for political and PR reasons. 
But they're not giving up, he says. They're not going to give up on Paul Whelan. But, but they are giving up on him. They did because they gave up the best leverage that they have. There was only one, as far as I'm aware, Russian arms trafficker called the Merchant of Death in a U.S. prison, and Biden just surrendered him for the pot-smoking female basketball player. It is truly an abomination. I mean, he left the Marine behind and saved the WNBA player. It's one of the most shameful things I've ever seen a U.S. president do in my lifetime. And if you know anything about U.S. presidents over the past 35 years, that is uh, saying quite a lot. Now, I admit I am... I am somewhat biased here. Okay. I'm not entirely objective because I'm biased, first of all, in favor of Marines over WNBA players. For one thing, I'm biased in favor of national security, which we have now comp- uh, compromised by releasing a man that our own government has said is one of the most dangerous people on the planet. But I'm also biased because I never felt, I got to be honest with you, call me cruel. I never felt all that sorry for Brittany Griner in the first place. Um, Russia didn't fabricate the charges against her. She did, in fact, attempt to bring drug paraphernalia into Moscow. That's She did that. She broke the laws of the country she was visiting. And, uh, you know, just so happens that it's a country that doesn't have a lot of tolerance for drug use. Okay, we have a lot of tolerance for drug use in our country, way too much tolerance. But not every country is like the United States. Um, I, I have been traveling recently uh, in, 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 in and through countries with different laws and policies than our own. And I realized when I was there that I'm at their mercy and I have to play by their rules. If, if I'm not willing to do that, then I'm not going to go. Now, doesn't mean that I would, you know, if it was up to me that I would leave her to spend years in a labor camp because of it. Rather, it means that because of her own stupid and reckless behavior, because of her own ego that made her believe that she was exempt from Russian law, she she had put herself in this position and she should have been left to suffer the consequences until a deal that serves America's interests and includes Paul Whelan could be reached. After all, she was only arrested months ago. Whelan was arrested years ago. So if he can keep waiting, then so can she. But Biden wasn't thinking about American interests or national security, nor was he concerned with justice or fairness. Instead, he made his decision according to the dictates of left-wing intersectionality, a game that Whalen will always lose when up against Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner, uh, lesbian, black, female. It just, as far as the Biden administration is concerned, there is no contest here. And so he did what was best for public relations. Also note, incidentally, and uh, this is one thing we shouldn't allow to escape our notice, that uh, the the very administration that rants so much about the dangers of gun violence has just released the most notorious gun runner in history. So the hypocrisies here are endless. But though this may be hypocritical, Though, though it may be a disgrace, though it may be the worst basketball-related trade since the Bucks gave Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to the Lakers, though it may compromise national security, at least one might hope it will give the anti-American Brittany Griner maybe a newfound appreciation and love for the country that just put its own safety at risk for the sake of relieving her of the consequences of her own stupidity. One might hope that she will come home and stand with pride with her hand over her heart the next time the anthem is played. But one would have to have been born yesterday to believe any of that. Harbor those delusions.
I mean, she's certain to come home, you know, return to us more committed to her own self-victimization and personal resentments than ever before. And Paul Whelan, a man who loves his country, but has been forsaken by it, will just continue to sit and wait. Now let's get to our five headlines. If you're a small business owner, you know how important it is to prepare for the holiday season. If you haven't started preparing for the chaos of holiday mailing and shipping, well, you're already way behind. Luckily, Stamps.com has everything you need to make your life much easier. Sign up now and you'll be printing your own postage in minutes. Stamps.com is a one-stop shop for all your shipping and mailing needs. It's a 24-7 post office that you can access from anywhere. No lines, no traffic, no hassle. For 20 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Get access to the USPS and UPS services that you need to run your business right from your computer. Even save up to 86% on USPS and UPS shipping rates. Use stamps.com to print postage wherever you uh, do business. All you need is a computer and a printer. And if you need a package picked up, you can easily schedule it through your stamps.com dashboard. So get ahead of the holiday chaos this year. Get started with stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code Walsh for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code Walsh. Uh, Also, you know, it's not just Paul Whelan who's still sitting in a Russian prison. There's also a guy named Mark Fogel uh, who's who's been in a Russian prison for, I believe, over a year now. And and, and he was given a 14-year sentence. And here, there, the uh, this maybe isn't even in some ways the fact that Fogel is still sitting in, in a Russian prison in some ways is even more outrageous because what the Biden administration will try to claim and its defenders are already claiming you know that you heard him say it he said well they're they're treating uh, Paul Whelan as a as a completely different case and so they're the ones this is on them uh, they consider him because they they call they think he's a spy so they consider him a lot more important and so they're not going to give him up. Uh, unless we give up somebody important. Well, meanwhile, we just gave up the most notorious arms trafficker in history. So you would think that there would be, they'd be able to work something out there. Um, but, but Fogel, Mark Fogel, was not convicted of, uh, by, by the Russian court system of espionage. It's not what he's suspected of. Uh, they, this, it was a very similar case. This was, uh, he was arrested because of, because of violating their drug laws. Mark Fogel's a, a, a teacher, spent 10 years teaching in Russia, then left and came back. And he had a relatively small amount of medical marijuana that had been prescribed to him because of severe, a severe back injury that he had suffered and a lot of botched surgeries and so on. So he had chronic severe pain. He had been prescribed medical cannabis, um, legitimately prescribed it. You know, he could produce the prescription from the doctor. And he had that with him. And he was caught at the airport with it. And they convicted him of being a drug smuggler and they sent him to prison for 14 years. And he's now sitting, he's now at a, he's now at a labor camp. And keep in mind, this is a guy with chronic, severe back pain. He certainly doesn't have his medicine anymore and he's at a labor camp. He wasn't included in this deal. Same exact kind of charge. Not included. Not only that, but... As, as far as I'm aware, and in the most recent article I could find about this um, dates back to November, about a month ago. As of early November, 
the Biden administration will not even designate Mark Fogel as wrongfully detained. They designate Brittany Griner as being wrongfully detained, even though she did, she violated Russian law. But by our standards, we decided she's wrongfully detained. Mark Fogel also did violate Russian law uh, because it was a, this is in the United States where we have medical cannabis. In Russia, they either don't have that at all or it's just this didn't qualify. But so, but why doesn't he get the wrongful detainment designation? And because they don't qualify him as wrongfully detained, they're not even trying to bring him home. You know, as of uh, early November, you know, there were Republicans in Congress trying to get the Biden administration at least to explain why, produce documents explaining why they're not even trying with Fogel. Why isn't he considered wrongfully detained and they won't do it? So he's sitting in prison. Mark Fogel, Paul Whelan. There are some similarities here between, you know, you, you could, you could uh, start looking at patterns. And one of the mistakes, one of the big mistakes that, uh, what's, what's, a, what's a mistake that both Mark Fogel and Paul Whelan made? Well, they both made the mistake of being straight white men. You know, that's, that's one mistake that they made. Far be it for me to suggest that people in that category, when it comes to getting aid and help from the Biden administration, far be it for me to, for, for me to suggest that, uh, that people in that category are put at the back of the line. I mean, I'm only suggesting it because this has been the Biden administration policy on record. They gave out COVID assistance based on uh, along racial lines and put the white people at the back of the line. So it seems to be a very similar thing happening here. All right. But will this... We talk about Brittany Griner coming home. Will she appreciate America now? Of course she won't. Will she at least now be willing to concede that she is not being systemically persecuted based on her race and gender, given the fact that, you know, you've got three potential Americans that could come home, two of them straight white men, one a gay black woman, and she gets to come home and they stay. So will she then at least say, you know what, maybe because of my sexuality and gender and, and, uh, and race, I'm not actually being oppressed in this country. I mean, I, I was prioritized and I'm a home free now and they're still rotting in prison. Will she at least concede that? Of course she won't. All right. So the Daily Wire has this story. The dean of students at an elite private school in Chicago was allegedly recorded on undercover video admitting to having a group come into his classroom and pass out sex toys during Pride Week for students to examine and to learn about gay sex. The video was captured by the conservative action group Project Veritas, posted on social media Wednesday evening. The video allegedly shows Joseph Bruno, Dean of Students uh, at the uh, Francis W. Parker School, which cost tens of thousands of dollars to attend, telling an undercover activist for Project Veritas about activities that take place in his classroom. Uh, we have the video, which went uh, massively viral online. Uh, thanks, thanks in part to the fact that Elon Musk has allowed Project Veritas to get back on Twitter, which there was no reason for them to be kicked off Twitter. The only reason they were ever kicked off Twitter is, uh, this is actually one of the most outrageous examples of someone getting banned from Twitter. Because they, the only thing they ever did wrong was just producing video that, that, that uh, embarrassed the left. Now they're back on, they, were, they uh, released this video. So let's, let's watch some of this. Go ahead. 
I had like our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Meet Joe Bruno, Dean of Students at the prestigious Francis W. Parker Private School in Chicago, which happens to charge $40,000 per student. They're just like passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're like, how do you, how does this butt plug work? How do we do like, how does this work? That's a really like cool part of my job. Parents might be stunned to learn that Bruno's version of love and acceptance means handing out sex toys to underage students. So I've been the dean for four years. During Pride, we do a Pride week every year. And I had, um, I had like our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Who is this? This is uh, an LGBTQ plus health center came in to talk to my high school students. Nice. They're just like passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're looking at them. In the school? In, in a classroom. Wow. Yeah. While I'm sitting there. Then we had a drag queen come in, um, pass out cookies and brownies and do photos. That's so amazing. And everybody's cool with that, like the plugs and the dildos. Yeah. No big complaints. No. I mean, if the parents found out, would they? No. It's queer sex. This is the drag queen that came in. What's her name? Uh, Alexis Bevels. Alexis Bevels. And just hung out in my classroom. And was there? Or hung out in my office. You have so much freedom. So much. Wiggle room. So much freedom, so much money. I mean, I need to do stuff. Trustees are okay with that too? They don't know. Okay. So much freedom, so much money. Uh, so he's got drag queen coming and just, just hanging out. Hanging out in his office too. He's, uh, I wonder what they're up to. So he's, he's got the uh, cross-dressing fetishists coming into the, the classroom. Um, and somehow that's not the most outrageous thing that he's doing because he, he is also having groups come in and pass out sex toys to the children so that they can, according to him, play with the sex toys uh, during class. This is a confession of uh, sexual abuse. This is a, a confession of pedophilic sexual abuse by this monstrous piece of garbage. And uh, after this video came out, how has, how, how, how has this, this school that people are spending, parents are spending tens of thousands of dollars to send their kids to, how did they respond? Well, the first thing they did was that they deleted their Twitter account. Because that's, that's what you do when you're innocent, right? The very first thing you do is you just take everything down. Uh, very similar to, I remember what Vanderbilt did when we uh, uh, blew the lid off of uh, what was happening there. Very first thing they did was they just took down their entire website that deals with gender transitions, the gender cl clinic, took it all down. Um, yeah, a real sign of innocence there. And shortly thereafter, we had this from Lives, Lives of TikTok, had this update. Francis W. Parker School in Chicago, Illinois, where the dean of students, Joseph Bruno, was caught on video uh, talking about giving students butt plugs and dildos, sent out this email to parents saying that they stand in full support of the dean. So this is the email that they sent out. We are writing to let you know that one of our employees, while at a conference last week, was targeted by a right-wing fringe group 
of individuals that seek to undermine and manipulate diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work in schools. Because when you're giving out butt plugs to kids to play with, um, that's just inclusion and belonging. This evening, the group showed up outside the school and attempted to confront and ambush this employee with aggressive questions. A handful of students and family members were present. This incident is very upsetting, and we stand in full support of our employee. We have put additional security measures in place, and we will notify the community should there be any additional activity from this group regarding the school of, uh, regarding the school or our employee. We advise members of our community not to engage with any organization that fits this general profile. This is from Dan Frank, the principal. Don't engage with any organization. Otherwise, otherwise known as keep your mouth shut. Don't, don't talk to anybody about this. Um, because this is, uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Can you imagine what else is going on inside this school? I mean, this is what this guy was willing to admit to. Now, he truly he didn't know he was being recorded, but he was sitting in a crowded conference talking very openly about this. So this is the stuff that we know about. Um, they don't want us to find out about the things that we don't know about yet. And what do they do? They, they immediately circle the wagon around this sexual abuser. And meanwhile, we will be told that you know, the claim that there is sexual grooming going on in the classroom is some sort of, it's all a, it's all a myth. It's a right-wing fairy tale. Like none of this is going to stop until a guy like uh, this this groomer, this pedophile, until someone like Joseph Bruno, you know, until we have armed police officers busting into his home in the middle of the night, guns drawn, and frog marching him into a jail cell, okay, in handcuffs. Until that is what, until that is the response, none of this stops. And I said that last night on Twitter, and of course, someone did correct me and say, well, no, 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 we don't want the police to uh, bust into the, the house in the middle of the night. We want it to be in the middle of the day. Or maybe come into the school and start dragging people out, because we want this to be visible to everybody. We want people to see it. And that's true. So I'll, I'll take that correction. Yeah. In fact, not middle of the night. I would prefer for it to be in the middle of the day. And frog marched in front of jeering crowds, heaping contempt on this monstrous piece of crap. But our government and, uh, and you know, law enforcement agencies, they reserve that kind of treatment for pro-life activists. And that's what happens to pro-life activists in Philadelphia. They get pulled out of their homes at, at, at gunpoint in the middle of the night and handcuffed and brought to jail. Whereas men who admit to sexual abuse, this is sexual abuse, if, and there would be no question about it, I mean, there's no question about it here, but you take this out of the classroom and you have this Joseph Bruno um, child groomer showing up to like a, a playground or a park or something with a, with a satchel full of dildos and butt plugs and handing them out to the children. Everyone would agree that this guy is a pedophile and needs to be charged with sexual abuse and thrown in prison for the rest of his life. But you take that and you put it into a classroom and suddenly it's, it's, it's well, it's totally different. So different, different rules entirely. But maybe I'm giving the left too much credit. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming that if this guy was doing this with random kids at a playground, that, they that even they would admit that it's inappropriate at a minimum. I'm not sure that they would. 
Remember, as, as you've heard from me so many times, we talked about what is a woman. Uh, you got you to know where this stuff comes from. You have to understand uh, where it all originates, where it's coming from. And this all, this all goes back to Alfred Kinsey and the effort to sexualize children from birth. And, you know, he's yet another disciple of this. And the entire left, they're all disciples of, this, uh, of, of that same religion. And so they just don't, they don't object. They have no problem with this. All right. Next we have this. This would uh, seem to be entirely real, sadly. Uh, this is a, a post from an account called Pup Ravage. And here's the post. It says, uh, well, after nearly three decades in uniform, this old army dog is finally done. As of today, he's Colonel Ravage, U.S. Army, retired. It's been a great run. Okay, just by like reading that to you, he's like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but then you see this, this man in a... Uh, dog-themed bondage gear, wearing a, wearing a dog mask and his military uniform. And this was posted um, on Twitter. And under this post, which has since been put to private, there were other military guys in leather dog bondage gear and their military uniforms wearing the, the, the two things at the same time, responding enthusiastically and positively. The whole uh, Paw Patrol gang came out to voice their approval. There was another post from a guy says, congratulations, sir, you earned it. Salutes. And he also has his bondage gear, his puppy mask, along with his, uh, his military dress uniform. Now, needless to say, right, these guys should be arrested. Arrested and here, here's here are more, more people that could be arrested and thrown in prison. Uh, that should be the penalty for posing with your bondage gear while in military uniform. But I bring this up because it might help explain this. This is a recent report from an ABC affiliate in Detroit. It says, for many who join the, ar the armed services, it's a chance to serve their country, enjoy decent benefits, and in some cases, even see the world. But right now, as we mark Veterans Day, the U.S. military is facing a problem. Not enough people are signing up. It was a concern that took the spotlight in late September during a Senate committee hearing. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand said by the end of uh, 2022, the active U.S. military will be at its smallest size since the creation of the all-volunteer force. Antonio Andrews is a sergeant first class in the Army Reserves, however, uh, and right now he's on active duty. We spoke with him from Fort Bliss, Texas. He said, quote, I've been in 36 years straight out of high school. Um, he says, I wanted to do my part. He talks about the recruitment video he saw before he signed up. He says, quote, music was playing. The guys was running up on the tanks and throwing grenades, shooting off weapons. And I was like, sign me up. I'm ready. During the Senate hearing on September 21st, Army leadership warned that just 23% of Americans 17 to 24 are even qualified to serve. Data from the Department of Defense provided to Action News shows that as of August 2022, the Army was on track to be short of its enlistment goal by around 15,000 soldiers. Okay, so that's kind of interesting, right? So you got the Army guy there that they talked to. He's been in three and a half decades. And, uh, and what is it that convinced him to join? Well, it was a, in part a recruitment ad with tanks and explosions and cool music and the promise that he could serve his country and fight some bad guys. That's what, that's what motivated him to serve. Now, and that has motivated, it's not just one recruitment ad, obviously, but it's, it's, the, it's the kind of thing that, motive, that has motivated young men to serve in the military. How many people 
are signing up, though, because they want to serve alongside dog fetishists and BDSM kink enthusiasts. How many are signing up for that? How many are signing up because they really want to take diversity training and learn about tolerance and inclusivity? How many people are in that category? Like, nobody wants that. No one is signing up for that. And if there are a few people who would sign up for it, they're exactly the sorts of people you don't want. So you see here, the military is making the same mistake that churches have made. And, uh, and really, military and, the ch- and ch- church, these are not so dissimilar in terms of form and function. Because military, you fight physical battles against physical em- enemies. And uh, in church, you fight spiritual battles against spiritual enemies. And churches have seen their attendance crater as they've moved away from their calling to engage in spiritual warfare. And instead, they've adopted this feminized approach. They've feminized the service. They've made everything more open and tolerant and effeminate. And uh, they've done that. And as they've done it, people have been driven away in droves. This change was made in order to bring more people in the doors. They said, well, if we're more open and more welcoming, we tone things down a little bit. Um, and and, and we, everything's a lot more gentle and womanly. If we do that, then more people will want to come to church. And what they found is that the exact opposite is the case. And I think a similar thing is happening in the military. Um, why? Well, because for the military, almost no young man actually desires to commit himself to a woke institution like this. Wokeness doesn't speak to any of the real desires of the soul for a man or for a woman. And and the thing is, if if he does desire wokeness, if this is what he wants, if he wants hyper-tolerance, this focus on diversity and equity and all the rest of it, why would he go to the military? See, that's the problem. Most young men don't want this nonsense and won't sign up for it. And the ones who do, why would they sign up for the military to get it? Because if, if diversity and inclusion are, and, and all that kind of stuff, if that's important to you, you can go anywhere else and get that. Why the military? The military is trying to compete with like Starbucks now. Because it's saying, hey, uh, you need to make some money. You need something to do. You need a job. And you want to be part of a woke institution. Come join the army. But the woke people are saying, why? I could just be a barista. But there's less commitment. The wokeness is more authentic. And meanwhile, all the men who want nothing to do with any of that are scared away. All right. What else do we have? I've had this clip uh, sitting here for a couple of days that I've wanted to play. Richard, a.k.a. Rachel Levine of Health and Human Services, is now urging pediatricians to be trans activists. Let's listen to a little bit of that. So I encourage all of you to think of yourselves as ambassadors to your communities, ambassadors for science, ambassadors for compassion, and ambassadors for care. These conversations don't have to be limited or restricted to a medical setting. Offer yourselves as informational resources, not just for youth, but for school teachers, principals, school boards, professional organizations, recreation centers, county commissioners and others who would benefit from this information and your perspective. Please proactively seek opportunities to speak about what you know. Our task is to educate the public in as many forms as possible. 
And we need to have these conversations that question the assumptions that are underlying today's attacks on trans people. Pushing back the veil of ignorance demands this extra effort. And this is, a ch this is the challenge before our profession. For almost 40 years now, I have considered an honor to be a doctor. I believe in our role as healers. I believe in our role as truth tellers. And the truth that we need to confront now is that medicine and science are being politically perverted around this country that destroys human lives. And we have reached a tipping point for the role in medicine and civic life for the health and well-being of LGBTQI plus youth. Uh, Rachel, quote unquote, quote unquote, Rachel is concerned that medicine and science is being perverted. It is exactly right. It is. It is being both of those things are being horrifically perverted um, to a catastrophic extent by him and by people like him. As we continue to be such an utter joke on the world stage. I mean, we heard so much about this during during Trump's uh, administration. The left was very concerned, the media is very concerned about how the rest of the world views us and we're losing respect on the world stage. And there wasn't a lot of evidence that, that was actually happening during the Trump administration. But, but you know, if you're concerned about the world stage and how they view us, well, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think they think when they see Rachel Levine, Admiral Rachel Levine, as one of the, as one of the most high profile people in the administration? This man cosplaying as a woman. And now we're giving up, uh, you know, arms traffickers for WNBA players and all the rest of it. You know, we talked about yesterday about there's uh, this epidemic of people drop, essentially dropping out of society. And they're not dropping all the way out because they're still living off of the fruits of modern society and enjoying all of those. And they're sitting in their homes and they have their phones and they're watching Netflix and all that. And they're playing video games and they're, uh, and they're eating fast food. So they're very much still in modern society, but they're not participating in it. They're not contributing to it. And we talked about what, what, what's lurking behind that. What's the reason for that? And there are a lot of reasons that we went over, but, um, on top of everything we talked about yesterday, the other thing too is that people are losing faith in our institutions. They don't trust any of the institutions anymore. And in, for in no institution is that is that is that more clear than with the medical institution, because of people like Rachel Levine, who are working every day to turn pediatricians into trans activists. That's why people are losing faith in it. All right, let's get now to the comment section. Big dumpy white guy says, in response to a comment from yesterday's show, my son was constantly being diagnosed with ADHD by his kindergarten teachers. In the resulting parent-teacher meetings, I would tell them that they were not qualified to make this diagnosis. And I would always resist their impassioned pleas of before it's too late. Like, what's too late? Third grade? I did end up relenting around third grade and allowed him to be medicated on the lowest dose of concerta for almost, uh, concerta, I think it's how it's pronounced, for almost a year before I discontinued it because he told me that he didn't like it. I never allowed it to be made known to the school. And therefore, there was pushback when I made that decision. Anyway, some, somehow he's growing up just fine and he hasn't committed any violent offenses such as misgendering any of his classmates. I appreciate your support surrounding ADHD slash normal boys behavior, SBG for life. 
well, I'm happy to hear that he's that uh, you've gotten him off these drugs, and I'm also happy to hear that you resisted the the uh, the call to put him on the drugs in kindergarten. Um, I will say though, if he's not misgendering his classmates yet, then you got to work on that because he he needs to be doing that. But other than that, it's a it's a good thing, and it, it's just the the idea that this kind of thing can be quote diagnosed in kindergarten is obviously madness. And you're right that the kindergarten teachers aren't qualified to diagnose a kindergartner with ADHD. But I would also add that nobody is qualified to diagnose that. I, I, you know, I don't care. It's a kindergarten teacher, psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist. I don't care who it is. Nobody is qualified to declare that a five-year-old boy has a deficiency of attention especially when no one's been able to explain what exactly the hell that means. Deficient in attention. For f- what, what is the correct amount of attention that a five-year-old boy is supposed to have? Is it the same in all such like his, his ability to pay attention when you're a five-year-old boy, the ability to pay attention is, is largely dependent on what we're asking him to pay attention to, isn't it? Not just for five-year-old boys, but for kids of any age. You know, the other, the other fascinating thing is that uh, when I hear about ADHD and oh, kids, they can't pay attention. They can't pay attention. Uh, they can't pay attention in school. They can't pay, but you never hear parents complaining that kids can't pay attention to video games. Right? Even the ones that are most cursed with ADHD, they can sit down in front of a video game and play it for hours. Right? They can look at their phone for hours and pay attention to that. Oh, so no, they can sit still and pay attention to things. It's just that if the thing is boring, then it's harder to get them to pay attention to it. That sounds to me like a kid. Scratch that. That sounds to me like a person. All people are like that. It's very hard to pay attention to boring things. But if you put something in front of someone that they're interested in and they find entertaining, then they have no no trouble. Um, all right. Jim says, if Charlie Brown doesn't get good enough at football, Lucy is never going to stop pulling the, the ball away. God bless you, Matt, but it's going to take more than playing their game by their rules that they can change whenever they have to, to win this. Someone who's already on the inside is going to have to stand up and make things happen however they can. All right, Jim, I, I get that. But so, so what's your solution here? Okay, I mean, what what exactly is your solution? When it it comes to voting, mail-in voting exists, um, early voting exists, all these things exist. They are systems that are in place. They are being exploited and used by the Democrats to win elections. And so what what are you saying? That, That we should just refuse to take advantage of these systems and only allow the Democrats to do it? thereby signing our own political death warrant. It's political suicide. As you say, well, someone on the inside needs to stand up and make it happen. So we're just going to, so the plan is to sit around waiting for, quote, someone on the inside to solve it. Who on the inside? I mean, this is a problem in in, in every state. So we we need some magical person in every state to do this. How do you get the person, whoever is on the inside and solve the problem, how do they get there? That you got to vote them there. Not going to get there otherwise. I mean, if you're talking about someone on the inside like the president of the United States, 
Um, if you need, we, you know, we need a, a Republican president. If you're saying uh, we need Donald Trump back in the office 2024, that's what you mean. They got to be voted in. And they're not going to get in there unless we start exploiting these systems that are in place. Whether we like it or not, and we don't like it, but it's, it's, it is just the reality. It's, it's amazing to me that we even have to talk about this. Like, the Democrats have given themselves an advantage, and we have the opportunity to exploit that same exact system, and there are actually people saying we shouldn't do it? Uh, it, it's to me, it's a total madness. All right. One other thing, this is from Ben says, Matt, what are your thoughts on the Deion Sanders situation? I know you're a football fan. Would love to hear your takes. So I haven't really followed the story. All I know is that Deion Sanders was coaching at a smaller school, had a lot of success, then got a job offer at Colorado, uh, which is a bigger school, but a program that's in disarray. And he's going to go there now and try to turn the program around, do kind of a remember the Titans deal, um, minus the racial aspects of that. And I guess he gave, a, he gave a speech to his new players a couple days ago, and the speech has been controversial, I suppose. Some sports media folks didn't like the speech. They thought it was, I don't know. We have a clip of that. Let's uh, watch it. I just want you to know, I'm coming. Not to compete, but to win. Not to show up, but to show out. Not to be amongst the rest, but to be the best. I'm coming. I'm flat out coming. This is real. This ain't no ESPN or this ain't one of the networks you just happen to see me on. I'm right in front of you. You know why? Because I'm coming. I'm coming to restore, to replace, to re-energize some of y'all that are salvageable. I'm not going to lie. Everybody that's sitting there under the seat ain't going to have a seat when we get back. But I'm coming. Uh, I started, and we're going to go dominate, and we're going to work. I'm coming to work and not to play. I'm coming to kill it and not to kick it. I'm coming. So you got to understand, so when I get back, ain't going to be no hats and no meetings. There ain't going to be no hoodies on and no meetings. There ain't going to be no phones. I wish you would bring a phone in my meeting. There ain't going to be no earrings in the meeting. Everybody's going to look like everybody. I'm coming. It's going to be a different place, a different feel, a different attitude, a different energy, a different work ethic, a different want, a different hunger, a different desire, a different need, a different capacity. It's going to be a different reach. I'm cutting. I don't know what the indictment of Deion Sanders is supposed to be. Uh, as I said, I, I haven't really followed the story. There may be context I'm missing, but I listened to that, and I love that. I mean, it's a little bit me-centered. Okay, he says I a bit too much. He's very, you know, it's, so it's me. But this is Deion Sanders. It's his shtick. The basic message is terrific. I mean, it's got uh, exactly the right amount of that kind of military unity, going to war, discipline, uh, at least these are messages we used to associate with the military. It's got that feel to it, and 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 uh, and I think it's I think it's great. I mean, he's telling it was like some of you guys aren't going to be here if you can't cut it. Don't wear hats in my meetings. Don't bring phones in here. I don't want to see earrings. Like you know, everybody looks like everybody. That's that is what it's supposed to be. You know, and that's traditionally football has always had this. It, it's not the military, obviously, because they're not actually going to war. But uh, people that are ex football players, we don't call them veterans, but. We don't call them combat veterans, but it has that. It, it has that kind of traditionally. It's had that kind of feel and tone um, with it, with an intense focus on 
on discipline and unity. Everybody looks like everybody. You're one unit. It's not about the individual. That's what football is supposed to be. And the, and the way that traditionally football coaches talk about it, they do talk about it, like we're going to war, we're going to battle. That's what makes football football. And it, it's, it's, it's what makes it good for young men, even with the physical risks. I know these days we get very squeamish. You know, there are some risks that many parents are willing to take with their children. I think we get it exactly backwards. You know, parents are willing to take risks with their kids. You give your nine-year-old a phone, you're taking a big risk, but you're taking a risk with your, with your nine-year-old's mind and soul. So we're willing to risk that. So we'll, we'll risk the child's mind and soul, but we don't want to risk their physical safety. We don't want to take any risks on the physical safety. So that means don't climb the tree too high, don't play football, don't play rough sports. I think it should be the other way around. I mean, guard and cherish your child's mind and soul, but allow your child to take physical risks within reason obviously, and in, and in controlled environments, and especially with boys. If you don't allow that, if you don't allow, if you don't allow them to take reasonable measured physical risks, then, um, and, you, and you don't provide them an environment, a controlled environment to take those risks and to get out all that aggression, then they're going to find another outlet for it. And instead of, you know, because they can't play football, they're going to, next thing you know, they're going to be 17 years old, uh, you know, driving down a, a back road at, 95 miles an hour run into a tree and kill themselves. Like those, that's, that's the kind of risk they're going to take instead. Um, and so I think that's what, that's why football is, is good for young, especially young men who don't have father figures in the house. They don't have male role models. It's a great outlet for that. So I think that's great from Deion Sanders. I'm a big fan of that. All over the country, wives, mothers, sisters, daughters are standing up for the strong men and boys in their lives by kicking woke razor companies out of his bathroom and replacing them with Jeremy's Razors. Jeremy's Razors is a premium men's grooming company that shockingly doesn't hate men. The Precision 5 razor will trim his beard, not his masculinity. And the new American-made hair, body, and skincare line has got his whole routine covered. It's a win-win. You love that he's cleaning up without parabens or sulfates. I don't know what the hell a paraben is. He loves that he's uh, supporting a, a company that doesn't hate his guts, so everyone wins. Jeremy's Razors is 100% woke-free and now 30% off when you order by December 15th. Other so-called men's care brands work to make men feel bad. Jeremy's uh, just wants them to look great. doesn't matter how you feel. That's irrelevant. And so do you. So kick woke companies out of his bathroom this Christmas. Go to dailywire.com Walsh today and get 30% off the gift bundle. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. There are many, shall we say, strange things about male TikTok star Dylan Mulvaney, who has amassed a million-dollar fortune from endorsement deals ever since deciding that he wants to pretend that he's a woman. Perhaps the weirdest aspect of Mulvaney's uh, very profitable woman face charade is his obsession with tampons, products that those of us with a male anatomical structure have no use for. And Mulvaney has a male anatomical structure because he is, again, a male, no matter how often or, or how obnoxiously he claims the contrary. Yet much is revealed here, I think, about the trans phenomenon, and, and all of it is extremely bizarre and disturbing. So backing up for a moment, in April, Mulvaney, who's still in the early days then of his uh, days of girlhood shtick, recounted an alleged incident that sparked his resolve to always carry tampons Listen. 
day 12 of being a girl and I just picked up some tampons and y'all are probably thinking, Dylan, where are you going to put those? They're not for me. But this last weekend, I was in the restroom and the girl in the stall next to me was like, hey, do you have a tampon? And I froze. I was like, sorry, no. But in that moment, I decided, you know what? I'm always going to have one on hand for anyone who needs it. You come over to my house and we're having a glass of wine. I got a tampon for you. If we're in the club together and then we go to the bathroom, I got a tampon for you. Women supporting women. Love ya. Now, I confess that I have um, no personal firsthand knowledge of what goes on inside a woman's bathroom because I'm a man, just like this guy. The only difference is that one of us respects a woman's right to privacy and the other one of us is Dylan Mulvaney. All that to say, if I had to guess, I would suspect that a woman shouting to a stranger in the next stall asking for a tampon is not a normal occurrence. It reminds me of the, the Seinfeld scene where Elaine uh, asks for her, her asks her stall neighbor for some toilet paper, something that I've never personally heard or seen anyone do in real life ever. And if I were ever on the receiving end of such a request in a public bathroom, I would consider it a horrendous breach of public bathroom etiquette. Yet perhaps these kinds of exchanges do happen sometimes in the women's restroom. I don't know. It's just interesting that Dylan Mulvaney had quote, been a girl for like 12 days and had already encountered that. But whether he made it up or not, the point is that he decided to always carry tampons around for any woman who might need it. He expected that women, his, his fellow women, as he considers them, would fall over themselves to thank and congratulate him for volunteering to be a tampon repository. But instead, actual women just found the whole thing very creepy and gross. And Dylan felt offended that. He felt offended that women were not more appreciative of his acts of tampon charity. And that led to this video posted this week. Day 271 of being a girl, or I'll say woman for this one, because this video is for the women on Twitter who just really don't like me. Hello, ladies. We got a lot to cover, but let's first talk tampons. I haven't talked about tampons on here lately because I don't use them. I'm a woman who doesn't have a uterus. I know this. And science was my strongest subject in high school. I was also shockingly good at math, but I digress. I just sometimes carry one in case anybody needs it. And that seems to have just set the world on fire in some pretty nasty ways. And this is a conversation that's been going on for months. I just haven't chimed in because I'm so tired of sticking up for myself over something that was so pure intentioned. But now Twitter is just ablaze. The bigger problem at hand is that you feel me carrying a tampon around is a threat to you and your womanhood. How is someone doing something nice so repulsive to you? Because listen to this, if a man, whether he was your boyfriend or your husband, could even be your gay best friend, kept a tampon for you at his house just in case you needed it, you'd gush over him. You would run to brunch on Sunday and tell all your gal pals that he's so thoughtful and he cares and he listens. And then a trans woman does it, and all of a sudden, I'm the reason that there's a tampon shortage. You know, it's, it's not because I'm misogynistic, it's because you're transphobic. You know, we gotta work through this. And, and babe, caring for others, it's the bare minimum. Yeah, babe. You know, we all know that you ladies are running to your Sunday brunch in your fancy hats, gushing to your gal pals about how your boyfriend walks around in a fanny pack stuffed with tampons, just in case you have a menstrual emergency when he's around. Um, 
You notice how Mulvaney's vision of womanhood is almost entirely derived from Sex and the City episodes. This is one of the most glaring truths about transgenderism. The men who identify as women are not only not women, they also understand women far less than the average man who identifies as what he actually is. Like, this dude knows a lot less about women than I do, or like any a normal man, especially a married man. So we're not women, but we've been around them, we're married to one, so we have some sort of insight. This guy just doesn't understand women at all. Trans women know, know vastly less about women, have a, have a much you know, inferior understanding of womanhood. So I may not have women totally figured out, but I do know that, first of all, most of them aren't going to Sunday brunch in the first place. And if they do, they aren't talking about their boyfriends and husbands' attitudes towards tampons. In fact, if I may be so presumptuous, I'm, I'm going to assume that almost every woman on the planet would be deeply creeped out if the men in their lives walked around with extra tampons on hand all the time. I can tell you that my wife has, uh, has been to brunch with the gal pals, which she would never call them that, by the way, ever. Um, like maybe twice in the last decade, she's been to a Sunday brunch. And if I ever pulled a tampon out of my pocket and asked her if she needed it, she would look at me with a mixture of confusion and horror. And she would assume that I had gone completely insane. There would be no gushing to the gal pals about it. it you know, she might bring it up to a female friend, but it would be like in a hushed and concerned sort of tone. Like, he had tampons in his pocket. How concerned should I be about this? And by the way, also, whatever happened to listening to women, right? Is it we're supposed to listen to women? So Dylan Mulvaney thinks that women should be appreciative of the tampon thing. He's admitting that the women are telling him, uh, no, thanks, please don't, please stop doing this. This is weird. Just, we don't need, just stop, by. you don't need to worry about the tampons. Let us figure that out. And, and rather than listening to the women who are telling him what they want, he says, well, you should know, you should want something else. That's the other thing you notice about how about this uh, tampon saga with Dylan Mulvaney. Aside from the fact that he's trying to become a woman and yet has apparently never met one, it's also how condescending and patronizing and threatening he is to the very people he's trying to emulate. Trans-identifying men are, are very much executing a hostile takeover of womanhood. And though he cloaks his condescension and insults in a very thin veil of faux kindness, it all still comes through loud and clear, especially at the end. Listen to what he says at the end. Yes, I am also very nervous for you just because hopefully soon transphobia won't be as tolerated online, but your tweets are forever and I don't want those to come back and haunt you. Okay, bye. Mm. He's nervous for you. He's trying to look out for you, ladies. He's just concerned that he, he might have to ruin your life over wrong think. He loves you. He's your friend. He cares for you so much. And he really doesn't want to have to destroy you for expressing politically incorrect ideas. He doesn't want to have to do it. It would hurt him more than it would hurt you. He would hate it if your defense of biological reality came back to haunt you. Man, would he hate that. So shut your mouth. Get in line. Let him use your bathroom and locker rooms all he wants. Let him appropriate womanhood, turn it into some kind of bizarre sex in the city parody. Let him degrade your femininity. Let him run around acting out his tampon fetish. Let him do all of this in front of you as a direct mockery of you and do not object. Because those objections might come back to haunt you. This is the trans invasion of womanhood in a nutshell. Bizarre, fetishistic, degrading, condescending. 
pushed through with veiled threats and not so veiled threats. So he's the perfect mascot in many ways, not of womanhood, but of its invaders and appropriators. And for that reason, he is once again today canceled. And that will do it for this portion of the show. Let's move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.